Thanks, Will. Um, Will didn't mention this, but we are having a service on New Year's Day. I think we're having one service starts at 11 o'clock, so uh, you can add that into your plans too. All right, so hey, great to see you all here, and uh, how many of you love the Christmas season? Yeah, we do, for a lot of different reasons, don't we? You, you, you were ready to cheer there, I think. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Do you want to joke first or not? Let's vote. How many want to joke? Okay, okay, one simple joke. Uh, these, uh, these guys were going to a ball game in the south, they were from the north, and uh, three of them, and they noticed that three other guys got on the train with them, but they only bought one ticket. And as, as they were going through the line, they noticed these three guys only bought one ticket, and they were going home because they were from the south, and they, but they were going down to the game also. And so the three northern guys said, well, how are the three of you going to get all the way there with just one ticket? And they said, you just watch and you'll see. And so they get on the train and these three guys all crowd into the tiny bathroom on the train and they just stay there. And when the conductor comes by, he sees the bathrooms occupied. He knocks on the door and says, ticket, please. The door cracks open that far, just a couple inches, and a ticket, a hand comes out with a ticket, conductor takes the ticket, moves on, and then when the conductor's gone, the three guys come out of the bathroom, and they're all on the train. So they go to the game, and as they're coming back, uh, they're buying their tickets at the same time again, and uh, the three northern guys, they're talking, and they're saying, well, we're going to do that. We're going to buy one ticket, crowd into the bathroom, and uh, that way we'll save some money. And the three southern guys were standing behind them, and um, good morning, Danny. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> the, th- the three southern guys were standing behind them, and so they decide they don't buy a ticket. And so the northern guys were saying to them, uh, as they're getting on, well, how are you going to do this? You didn't even buy a ticket this time. And the guys say, well, just watch and you'll see. And so they each go, and the three southern guys crowd into one bathroom. The three northern guys crowd into another bathroom right across uh, from the um, southern bathroom. And after they're all nestled into their spots, the southern bathroom door cracks open. One guy slips out, goes over to the northern guy's door, knocks on the door and says, Ticket, please. (laughs) All right, so that's a good Christmas joke right there. You know, we all like Christmas for different reasons, I think. Uh, you know, some people just really love the, the family get-togethers and the focus on family. Um, other people like the presents and the gifts and the giving of gifts and the receiving of gifts and even the shopping for gifts. Some people just love to go out and be in the stores and, and shop. And then um, other people like the lights, you know, all the trees and the atmosphere that's created by all of the light. I think that's probably my favorite thing of all is the lights, the, like the festival of lights at the zoo. We took our, our family and grandchildren to that this year. It's just really a, a great experience. But um, there are people that aren't excited about Christmas. And, and they approach Christmas from a different perspective. You know, for some of them, it's because as a child, they remember fights in the family. You know, there's a lot of anxiety and tension around an event like this, and everybody wants it to be something and, and maybe more than, than it can be even from their perspective. And, and so some people remember family disruption and pain. And 
and some people don't like Christmas because they don't have enough money to buy the gifts for their children that they want to give to their children and that they think their children need in order to be happy and well-adjusted and in society. Now, I want to stop there and say, if that's you, then here's the thing with that. Your kids will be okay with whatever you have as a family if you're okay with it. Okay, your kids will be okay with what they get for Christmas if you're okay with it. Because what they do is they, they play off of our sense of anxiety. And really, that's shame. That's shame. I can't give my kids everything that all the other kids of school or some of the kids of school are going to get. So I feel kind of inadequate. And that, in, that sense of not being enough is what we call shame. And so I just want to say, just banish shame. You don't have to be ashamed. You know, work hard, use the money you get wisely, don't go into debt and overspend, tell your kids what Christmas is really about, give them what you can, and come to the Christmas outreach. That, that'll, that'll be what will change their lives. That's what they'll remember, is, is my family on Christmas, we took care of people that didn't have anything on Christmas. But some people approach Christmas with anxiety because of that. And then I think there's a, a just kind of like this special special class of people that, not class, but people that have lost someone. And Christmas reminds them of their mother or of their brother or sister, or uh, I think the, the, the worst of all, it reminds them of a child that they lost. And whether that child was lost as a young child or as an adult or a teen, uh, you still, you're going you're to come to Christmas and you're going to remember the days that you had that child at home and now they're gone. And, and that's incredible pain. Now, I do want to say specifically to people that are coming to Christmas and apprehensive because of the pain that there is healing for that. There is hope for that. And, and there, there is peace. I believe God wants to give you a measure of peace. And today, that God's going to give you a measure of peace. And, and we'll talk more about that at, towards the end of my message but wherever we're coming from, when we approach Christmas, we have to ask ourselves, do I really understand the meaning of Christmas? Do I, do I really understand who Jesus is, why he came? Because that is the key to us celebrating this holiday. That's the key to us, really, it's the key to all of life. Do I understand why Jesus came? Do I understand who he was? Now, there are different uh, perspectives on that. There are some people in our culture that would say, yeah, Jesus did live, he was a good teacher, he was a good man, and he gave us this example of love that's incredible, and so, uh, so you know, we honor that, but typically people that look at Jesus as just this great moral um, uh, example to us, typically they don't, don't believe in things like the virgin birth because it's not necessary. He didn't have to be God's son to be a good example to the rest of us. And typically, they wouldn't believe uh, the miracles in the Bible or the resurrection of Christ or anything like that, which then leaves us with a good moral example, kind of like a westernized, westernized version of Gandhi, you know, who was a good example, but he has no power to touch our lives today. And so that's one viewpoint that, that I would say you know, falls far short of, of where we want to be. Uh, another view would be that he was a prophet. I think most Muslims would say that Jesus was a prophet. 
Uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, people of Jewish heritage would uh, recognize Jesus as a prophet, but again, not the son of God, no virgin birth, no, no, death on, no substitutionary death on the cross or resurrection from the dead, and again, no impact on our lives today that is real. Now, among those who are genuine believers, um, there will be a myriad of perspectives on this, but I'm going to just kind of boil it down to two, and um, one of them would be this, that Jesus is the Savior, that he came as the Savior, and that's why we read in Matthew 121, the angel talking to Joseph and uh, telling Joseph it's okay for him to marry, go ahead and marry um, his betrothed. Uh, to, to be his wife, Mary. And it says, the angel said this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's an Old Testament uh, word that's just transliterated, but it means Jesus or Jehovah saves. And so it fits right there. You're gonna, you're gonna name him Jehovah saves for he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus did come as our Savior, and this did require the virgin birth. Because for Jesus to save the world, for Jesus to be a fitting substitute for us to, to pay for our sins and the sins of the whole world, he had to be more than a man. Because a man might be able to substitute himself for one or two other people, but not for the whole world because it's just one life. But Jesus was not just a man. He was God's son. And the, the, the way we describe that, if, in fact, theologians have a, a fancy word for it, the hypostatic union, which means the union of deity with humanity that we can't explain. But I like that word, hypostatic. Isn't that a cool word? I have no idea what it means, but uh, it's, it's above, the, it's above the, the norm, above the norm, something out of the norm. And, and so Jesus, because he preexisted, Mary couldn't just have a, a normal child. It couldn't be Mary and Joseph have a baby. It couldn't be a sperm and an egg because then another sinful human being would come into the world. But for a preexistent person to become a human being, it took this miracle of the virgin birth for the second person of the Trinity to join with humanity. And for that to be person to be fully God and yet also completely and fully human. Not 50% God and 50% human. If, if he was that, then it would be a third sort of a being that could not relate to deity or to humanity. But Jesus came through the virgin birth, God, son, he, uh, deity in human flesh, and he was able then because of that, because he was a real human to die for other human beings, and because he was deity, his death had a value to pay for, to, to redeem all human beings for all time. And so the virgin birth is essential to that. And and, and this is great news because what it means is when, when we die, we go to heaven. But oftentimes, when we focus on Jesus as Savior, not always, but oftentimes, when we focus on Jesus coming to be Savior, that's the main emphasis, is that you, you receive Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins, you receive new life, and when you die, you get to go to heaven. 
And now between the time of receiving Jesus and going to heaven, what you do is you, you try to honor God. You try to be good. You try to serve him and tell other people about Jesus so they can also go to heaven when they die. And while that is all true and good, I don't think it's complete. And I don't think it, it really fulfills everything that we read in the New Testament about Christ's purpose in coming. And for us to really understand our purpose, and for us to really understand why we're here on this planet, we have to understand the full picture of Christ's coming. Do you know in the Gospels, the term kingdom, and this is where I'm going with this, is that Jesus came to reestablish God's kingdom on earth and to change us so that we could be fit subjects of his kingdom and so that we could be prepared to walk in kingdom authority and power and to, then to extend his kingdom throughout the whole earth. And this term kingdom is used 117 times in the gospels. If you read through the gospels and you just mark every time Jesus talks about the kingdom, you'd be amazed at how much he emphasizes the kingdom. I mean, that was his main emphasis, was the kingdom of God. It starts out that way. John the Baptist, telling people to repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. Jesus comes, he gives the same message. The kingdom of God's here. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. Over and over and over again, talking about the kingdom. And so Jesus came to reestablish the kingdom. And in that, he had to save us. Saving us is part of reestablishing the kingdom. Because he needs people who are kingdom people. People who are fit to be part of the kingdom. And that's why the Bible says, and Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So he came so we could be what we call saved born again, forgiven, renewed, new creations, made righteous, so that we could see and enter the kingdom of God, so that we could be kingdom people. And in that, Jesus gives us a purpose in life that goes beyond simply saving people from hell. It goes back to the original purpose of God's creation. And that's what we're going to look at here as, as we move through this message. But it all starts, I want to start anyway, in Romans 5.14, because we read a key verse here that tells us about Jesus' coming and why he came. It says this, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come, Jesus. So, Adam did something that brought death into the world, and then death was king, death reigned that's, that's a, a kingly type of a word. Death reigned until something else was done by the one that would come after Adam. And some refer to Jesus as the second Adam because he came to undo what Adam did. He came to correct what Adam failed in. And so what Adam did brought death now Jesus is going to come, and what's he going to bring? He brings life. That's why in John 10, 10, we read this. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Adam gives up life 
and death comes in. Jesus came and defeats death and brings life back in. Now, what exactly do we mean by that when we say Adam gave up life and embraced death, that he welcomed death in? We need to back up and take a look at that to really understand the kingdom. And this starts in Genesis 1. We're going to look at verses 27 and 28. and get all kinds of insights into what the kingdom is and what God's intent and purpose for us today is when we look at what God's intent and purpose was for the first two human beings, Adam and Eve. So we read here in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first words you could read, mankind. God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And then it goes on to say, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So just leave that passage up there for a while, okay? First of all, creating in God's image, what does that mean? Well, in real simple terms, it means that we are enough like him, enough like him that we can communicate with him, that we can love him and be loved by him, okay? We're in his image. In his image means we're enough like him that we can reflect something of his glory, his creativity, his beauty, his goodness, his love, his truth. We can reflect that with our lives, his glory. And created in his image means that we can be his representatives. We can serve in his place, He can say, okay, I'm going to leave you here. You're in charge until I get back. We're his representatives. Now, let me me repeat that. In his image means that we can communicate with him. We can have relationship with him, love him, and experience his love. In his image means that we can reflect his glory. That when when we exhibit the characteristics of God... His creativity, his love, his goodness, his kindness, his truth, that we are reflecting his glory. And it means that we can serve as his representatives. And so he gives us this charge as, as serving his representatives. He gives us this charge. He says, fill the earth with image bearers. When he says fill the earth, he wants more image bearers on this planet. So fill it. Have babies and keep having babies until the whole earth is full. And then he goes on to say, subdue the earth. And that means bring it into order. Okay, the earth at this point in time had not yet been fully brought into order, which tells us something about how God wants to relate to us. Some people have the idea, God's just gonna do everything. And well, if God wants to heal me, he'll heal me. I don't need to go for prayer. If God wants to bless me, he'll bless me. I don't need to look for a new job or that, that, um, that God's just gonna do everything. But at the very beginning, he hadn't done everything. He left the earth undone because he wanted us to be part of fulfilling the completion of creation by bringing the earth into order. And so he gives us that charge, subdue the earth. And then he says, rule over it, have dominion over the earth and everything in it. 
Now, as soon as you use that word rule and dominion, we think of all the fallen kingdoms of the world and, uh, and rulers that are despots, but this would not have been that way at all. That wasn't even in the picture at this time. This type of rule would have been the type of rule and dominion God would have, loving, kind, gracious, blessed rule. And so we are called to have dominion over the earth. Now, at this point, God places them in a garden. The garden of what? And what else do we call the Garden of Eden? Paradise. Garden of Eden today is synonymous with paradise because it was a place where everything was right. The work you did produced. The relationships were good and right. The weather was just right. It was com- they didn't even have to wear clothes. The weather temperature was perfect. Everything about the place was perfect and fulfilling and would have been a happy, joyful place. Now, if they hadn't sinned, here's what would have happened. Or let me ask you what would have happened. They have children, and they have a lot of children, and those children grow up, and their children have children. What are they all going to do? Well, they were put in the garden to do what with the garden? To tend the garden, to care for the garden, to do whatever pruning the trees needed, to, to, uh, to, to work on keeping the garden. So here's what I believe would have happened. They would have more and more children. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that they, the garden would have filled up one day and then they would have said, oh, sorry, great-grandchildren, no room in the garden for you. You've got to go out into the, into the unfinished earth, into the unsubdued earth. No, what would have happened was this. As they had more and more children, there would have been more people to tend the garden. The garden would have expanded. And then more and more children, and the garden expands. And it keeps expanding and expanding and expanding until it has filled the whole earth. That's how they were to subdue the earth. That's how they were to bring the wildness of the earth into order, was the expansion of the garden. As they had more and more image bearers born to to cooperate with God as his representatives on this planet, expanding the garden, subduing the earth, and then managing the earth in God's, in God, as God's representatives. And so that was God's original intent. You get that. To expand the Garden of Eden, to fill the earth with image bearers, and by filling the earth with image bearers, expand the Garden of Eden until it filled the whole earth and the whole earth had come into order, God's order. And then his representatives, human beings, to live on this planet and to manage the planet. That's, that was his intent. We call that the kingdom of God, where God is king, where things operate the way God as king ordained them to operate. But in doing this, God gave man free will. That had to be part of the equation. And man used his free will to turn away from God And in rejecting God and embracing Satan's counsel rather than God's counsel, that's really what they did. They got counsel from two different counselors. God told them, don't eat that tree. It'll kill you. Satan said, God's lying to you. Don't believe him. Believe me. They believed Satan. They followed his counsel. And when they did that, they ate that tree, brought death into the world, and that was when they gave up the life that God had offered to them, the life that they could have had. 
And that's what Jesus came to restore, was that life that God gave to Adam and Eve at the beginning. That's why Jesus came. And we refer to that as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God once again exercising his rule on the earth. Not in contradiction to our free will, but because we freely cooperate with him. Because we choose to love him and to honor him and, and to reject the whole system that is in the world that has been developed and created because of the fall of humanity. And so we, we are called into this kingdom life. And that's why Jesus came, was to restore us to kingdom life. Now that's why it says in Luke 1, 32 and 33 about Christmas. Um, well, no, first I, I want to I share this, that uh, Romans five nineteen, it says... And this completes the thought I started in Romans earlier. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, meaning Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So you see, Adam sinned, and, then, and he plunged the whole world into sin and darkness and death. Jesus came Jesus lived a life of obedience and obeyed God at the end by dying on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, and he brings life by making all people righteous, by making us righteous. Those of us that turn to him receive his righteousness. Now, what does righteousness mean? And there are all sorts of theological uh, religious tones to that word. It, it kind of means like somebody who is really, really, really spiritual, and really, really, really does the right thing all the time. They're righteous. But what righteous really means is right. It means in right order, in right alignment. And so when it says he's making the many righteous, what it means is that he's, he's taking everyone that will turn to him, and he is gonna, he's going to redo their lives, born again, new creations, and he's going to make them fit for the kingdom of God. That's what righteous means. It means being right for the purpose you were created for. Or for, for the purpose that this was designed and made for. Uh, this thought came to me this morning. Tell me if it works, if it helps or not. Marine Corps. What their goal is to break that person down so they can rebuild that person in their image. That's why basic training is so hard. They want to break you down so that all the stuff you've learned about life to that point, you, you become as much as they can make you a blank slate so that they can then instill in you the values that they want and make you fit for the core, fit for the Marine Corps. Does that make sense? Okay, well, what happens when a person turns to Jesus is my old man is broken down. It's all, it, it dies. And Jesus supernaturally through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and the power of his resurrection enters my life and changes me and makes me new and fit for the kingdom. He changes, makes me righteous, fit for the kingdom. That's his purpose. That's why he came. It's all about the kingdom. And, and what that does is it takes me out of this frame of mind of it's all about me. Oh, it's all about me. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I want to go to heaven when I die. And God loves me so much. He wants me. He doesn't want me to go to hell. He wants me to go to heaven. 
That's, that, I mean, that's all true. It's all true. And thought within the right context, it's positive and good. But if I stop there, then it leads me into a, a Christian life that is very self-focused. It's all about me or my needs being met. It, are you going to provide th- this for me to help me to overcome this or that or whatever in my life? It it's, all becomes about me. But when I realize, no, he saved me to make me righteous. He saved me to make me fit for his kingdom so that, I, so that I can become part of his kingdom. Then it makes it about something so much bigger than me. It makes it about God's purposes. And it was God's purpose in the beginning to fill the earth, to fill the earth with Eden. And now the way he puts it is Jesus says that we're supposed to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Okay, in Eden, God's will was done on earth just like it was in heaven. And so now that's God's purpose for us. That's God's task for us. That's, that's why Christmas exists. That's why you've come to faith in Jesus. That's what we're here for. And there's this amazing verse. We're gonna end with this and then go into a little ministry time. But... Um, you, you can read the Christmas story and see the places it talks about the kingdom. Uh, here in Luke 1, 32 and 33, it uh, says this, and, and this is the angel speaking to Mary. Uh, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. See, it's all about kingdom. And figuratively, he's talking about reigning over the house of, of Jacob, but um, it, that, that by extension is the kingdom that spreads to the whole earth. Now, Jesus started off in, in Matthew 4, it says, he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the what? The gospel of the kingdom. The good news that you can become part of God's kingdom, that God will change you and make you righteous, fit for life in his kingdom. And that's where Jesus started. And it says, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. You know, almost always when it refers to the kingdom, there is some display of power, the healing. The healing takes place to show God's serious about this. That part of kingdom is healing. That's why we emphasize healing and healing prayer here uh, so much. But you go on, there's another verse in Luke 12, 32. Jesus, when he wants to encourage his followers, he said, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He wants you to be a kingdom person. And here he's saying, he's giving the kingdom to you. He's giving you the kingdom. Now, there's a verse in Luke twenty two twenty nine that is really tough to translate. And um, we're going to look at it. I have it up here, I think, in the NIV on the screen, Luke twenty two twenty nine. Is that up there? Yeah, it says this. Just as my Father granted me my kingdom, I now grant you authority in my kingdom. Now, I added, uh, none of the translations translate it as my kingdom, but that's what the, the original text actually says. that he, The Father has given me my kingdom. The kingdom I have, I got from the Father, in other words. And now what I'm doing is I'm granting uh, the word uh, grant. There's another word that is used, um, confer. Confer is a term that refers to uh, someone bestowing something on another person. 
You confer, like, like the, the Queen of England, if she would make you a knight, she would confer on you knighthood. Does that make sense? It's kind of, it's, it really has like these royal implications to confer. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, the Father, just as the Father gave me my kingdom, I am now conferring on you. And then actually the text ends right there. That's all it says. Just as the Father conferred on me my kingdom, I now confer on you. And by implication, what he's saying is, I am giving you, I am granting you authority in my kingdom. That's, that's what it means. I'm, I'm conferring on you kingdom authority and life and power. You're part of my kingdom. Doesn't stop there. It, it's not just, okay, I'm a good, happy citizen of the kingdom. Now, no. I get authority and power in the kingdom in order to do kingdom work, in order to fulfill that original charge that God gave to Adam and Eve, which was produce image bearers, fill the earth, subdue the earth. And now Jesus says, take this gospel into all the earth, to all the nations, and make disciples in my name, image bearers. Teach them to obey everything I taught you, subduing the earth. And so we are called in back into that original call of God through the ministry of Jesus in him coming to release the kingdom to earth. You're part of that if you know Jesus. Now, this uh, verse in Luke 22:29 really is saying that we get authority to serve in his kingdom. And what we're going to do right now is is really exercise some of that authority, okay? Because this authority is a benevolent authority. It is a a godly authority that is used to free people, not to subdue or to control, but to free people. And I, I mentioned at the beginning that some of us come to Christmas with pain because of loss. And specifically, I feel like God wants us to minister to people who have lost someone that they love and that it's still fresh pain in your heart. That it might have happened years ago. I imagine if it was a child, it could have happened at any point in time in your life and there's still pain in your heart. If, if it was a parent, uh, if it was a friend, brother or sister, there still could be fresh pain in your heart or maybe it just happened last, last week or last year. But what I'm gonna do in just a moment is I'm gonna ask you that if, you're, if, if you come to Christmas and you have this sense of anxiety because you know you're going you're gonna to feel this grief and this loss, you're going to look at the tree and you're going to picture your five-year-old under the tree opening presents and that five-year-old's not here anymore. Or you're going to remember your mother or your father and maybe some uncompleted relational issues when they died and that still brings pain to your heart because you never got to tell them what you wanted to tell them, but Christmas reminds you of that. Now, I'm going to ask you in a moment to uh, just to d- identify yourself. It's going to take some courage to do that, but I want to tell you sharing pain with others is a key thing to getting healing from that pain. And it doesn't mean that the pain would be gone. I mean, if I've lost a child, how could the pain from that ever totally be gone? It's, it's, not, it's not that. It's not like will we forget about them, it, but it is somehow we get the peace of God covering it. And, and in our hearts and in our lives, we experience God's peace. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And then if, if you're one who 
is experiencing pain this Christmas. It might be, be because of a divorce or, or something, something like that even. But if you're, if you're coming to Christmas with pain in your heart, I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up and then I'm gonna ask at the most three people, at least one, to go to that person, just gently put their hand on their shoulder and then I'm gonna ask you to identify it was loss of a son, it was loss of a daughter, was loss of my mother that's still painful. And that's all, we, we don't have time to, to go in, to, to do more than that. And then I'm gonna pray for you, okay? So, all right, does that sound fair? You don't have to do this if you don't want to, okay? It's not like the prayer won't help. I'll pray for you even if you stay seated, all right? Or if you don't raise your hand. But I wanna tell you, somehow, somehow there's, this, there's this thing of getting over this edge of saying, okay, yeah, I'm hurting, I admit that. Somehow there is healing that comes to that, and somehow that opens, opens the door wide for the Holy Spirit to, to give us healing. So let's all stand, all right? Let's stand. <clears throat> all right, now, um, in just, just a few seconds, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if, if you're still hurting for a loss, and Christmas highlights that pain in your heart. And, um, okay, so if that's the case, would you raise your hand right now, okay? Okay, one there. Anybody else? Okay, here, here. Okay, look around you and find, keep your hands up, please, until someone, and everybody, you don't have to walk across the auditorium, but if you're close to one of these people with their hand up, keep your hand up until someone comes to you, please. There's right here, there's someone. And in the back there, two people in the back, or one right there. Okay, where are we? I, I'm missing a hand here. Okay, okay. Any others? Okay, now, anybody that uh, you were really just on the edge of doing that a moment ago um, and you just need another little opportunity, one more invitation, raise your hand right now. Just close your eyes and raise your hand, okay, if, if you didn't yet. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna pray for you right now and just ask the Holy Spirit to come. And with that kingdom authority, he conferred on us a kingdom. He confers on us authority and power to operate within his kingdom. That means his kingdom is a place of healing. The Bible says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so that's what we're going to ask right now. Holy Spirit, come. We invite your presence here right now. Just come right now. And particularly for those that are grieving, and Christmas is a time of pain because of grief, we ask Holy Spirit, come and rest on them. Just come right now. Bring your comfort. Just flow into that place of pain and hurt and loss. Flow into the broken places in the heart. Bring your healing. It's just a new level of peace. New level of wholeness. Not forgetting, but just the ability to walk in peace. Let's release, Lord, more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, thank you all. Um, if you prayed with somebody there, if you were with them, you might want to get their phone number later and, and call on them this week and check on them just, just to tell them you love them and see how they're doing, okay? It doesn't mean you're going to become best friends or anything like that, but, but it's just, a, just an opportunity to love on them. So let's be seated, please. Now, I want to say to, um, to anyone here that hasn't yet opened their heart to Christ, you haven't yet been refitted by the Holy Spirit. You haven't experienced this thing called being born again into the kingdom. Jesus died for you. He died so you could become part of his kingdom. And being saved or born again, being forgiven, is just, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that happens as you step into the kingdom, and so that you can step into the kingdom. But for anyone here that hasn't yet received Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now and ask you to pray with me. And if, if you haven't yet received Jesus, then just, it, let, let's all close our eyes, okay? Just say this, something like this. It doesn't have to be these exact words. The real key here is that you're seeing this and you accept it and you believe it and you're going to embrace it. And so just say, Father, thank you for your love for me. Tell him that. Jesus, thank you that you died for me and that you rose again. Jesus, come into my heart right now. I believe in you. I embrace you. Change me into the person you want me to be. A kingdom of God person. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if anybody prayed that with me, I'm going to ask you to come up and tell me that at the end of the service, okay? Um, Wilson's going to come up right now and introduce communion, and then we're going to go into worship. And so this whole message relates to communion. Uh, the opportunity to pray to invite Jesus into your life relates to communion, and Will's going to come up right now and share a little bit of that with us and lead us into communion and worship.